Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs, and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Welcome to the next edition of the Media Insider. Now, this episode, I'm joined by Sophie Gallagher. She's Deputy Lifestyle Editor of Indie Life. Before that, she was a senior reporter at HuffPost UK. And she's also working with the Law Commission to review laws around image-based abuse, which we'll talk about a lot later. Sophie, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for we having me. We have to just tell our listeners that we're in a bit of a noisy place <laughs> because we had a bit of a room booking uh, error today. So we're, uh, we're, we're in a, in a cafe. around the whole of West London. Yes, we're in a cafe near to where The Independent is based, which is High Street Kensington. So that's the background noise. Um, so, so thanks for joining me. Tell me a little bit about your role for your deputy editor of lifestyle editor and you're fairly new you've been in the role like six weeks six weeks yeah I've been in the role six weeks so yeah it's all you know really exciting um it's after I was at HuffPost for three and a half years so obviously that was a really you know it was a really long time in a job especially a digital role because digital changes so quickly um so that was a really long time there and now I've been in this role for six weeks it already feels like much longer which is nice as a deputy editor in a newsroom how much of that is commissioning and how much is writing so it kind of varies on a day-to-day basis really and we've got quite a big team um, we've got three reporters uh, who write directly for lifestyle um, but uh, it kind of depends on any given day you know what stories are out there today I spent all afternoon writing a massive feature which is you know such a privilege to be able to do that but then yesterday I was editing commissioning all day so it's kind of day-to-day basis depending on who's there what we need to cover you know just what our resources are really and just run us through what the indie life section is so when I go on there it has like lots of um, subheadings you've got travel women fashion health and fitness food and drink is it quite rigid like that do do you commission so many stories for each section no not at all so I think those um, and I think lots of digital websites run this way I know HuffPost is the same um, lots of those sections are kind of maybe for that you know they're partially for readers but lots of readers don't go through the home page to find stuff so it's not really for readers lots of it's for commercial reasons you know that's how you sell stuff uh, to brands sometimes is through using those kind of sections and packages um, so no we don't commission you know a, a quota per section per day um, obviously we write to the sections so they are our you know they, they're kind of our, our, like our core values or core pillars things okay. we care about things readers care about so as you said things like sex and relationships health those kind of areas are things people are really interested in they are our remit but we like, don't commission to them at all right I thought you did okay. no no we don't I think it's just it's not you know, with a paper, obviously, you would have had, you know, when you used to work on, I used to work on local news and papers, and you would have, you know, you have to fill the sections, you, you know, pages to fill, whatever. Whereas with online, it doesn't really work like that. You've got those sections which, you know, they guide you for sure, um, and they guide your commissioning somewhat, but you don't, you know, they don't dictate what you do. If today there were five great health stories and no 
you know, food and drink stories, for example, that's fine. That's just the way, you know, the, you know it's the way it's fallen on any given day. What about the format? Do you have a set amount of interviews and Q&As and opinion pieces mm. and news stories? Is it all a mix or, again, is there a bit of a, a quota, a bit of a, a, sort of yeah. a formula? Yeah, so our, our desk is, you know, is quite news-heavy at the moment. Um, our strategy is quite news-heavy. Our reporters are really news-focused, which is great. Um, but we're always trying to do more original features. As I said, I spent this afternoon writing uh, an original feature. We do lots of explainers, which are based around uh, SEO needs. So, you know, what things that people are searching for on Google, explainers about, you know, maybe on health, we'll do SEO explainers around what is cancer or, you know, cancer treatment, things that people are searching for, like helpful consumer-led stuff. Um, but we also, do, we do do a lot of news on our desk um, because that's, you know, ultimately where you're getting your traffic and that traffic sustains uh, the ability to do all those really cool long-reach things, you know, spend more time on them with case studies and original journalism. Yeah. But you have to get that balance and I think that's how we commission is kind of knowing, right, if we, you know, are able to do X number of news stories a day, that gets us in a comfortable position traffic-wise to then be able to do the really cool... Okay, and your team will do... The same team will do a news story as they would a feature story? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, all of the journalists we have on the desk are, you know, really multi-skilled. They can turn their hands to a quick breaker. We had Gary Rhodes' death, obviously, last week. That fell into our section, um, you know, because he was a chef. Yeah, our team are all fully trained to do breakers and stuff like that, but equally could then do, um, you know, we've had some really interesting pieces recently on buffers outside abortion clinics, for example. One of our reporters did a first-person piece about that and a longer, more considered piece with voices and, and case studies. So everyone on our team is, you know, does all of those things. Because that is one way that digital journalism is different to mm. the old traditional yeah, print absolutely. model where you had features journalists and yeah, news absolutely. journalists. Um, yeah, you have to wear lots and lots of hats, I think, to be a digital journalist, you know. And how is it different in terms of the editorial planning? So I am from the era where there was the conference meeting at 11 in the morning. We have a conference and meeting as well at 11.15. Right, yeah. so yeah. yeah, tell us how you how the day is structured in terms okay. of commissioning and deciding the content of what goes online because you're not a print publication, no. but you're still timely aren't you yeah absolutely and I think that you know obviously we don't have the same constraints as print but you still have that base um, you know need to fulfill you know to be there when readers want to read you which is early in the morning and when they're commuting home you know and that's that's the same as print and so you need to be there you know very early in the morning so I get in about 7 45 um, there'll be two reporters there already at that point who will have started working at seven um, they will have already done two stories perhaps by that point then that point kind of do a you know see what the lay of the land is see what other people are reporting on uh, and then start commissioning from then we have one meeting, we have a stand-up meeting at 8.30 where we kind of talk about what our plans are for the day. We have then another conference at 11.15, flesh things out a bit, talk a bit more about any longer lead features, anything that might be coming through in the okay. afternoon, embargoes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's another stand-up meeting at 5.30, but I should have gone home by then, so I'm not normally in that one. What's that? But What's that's that just for? That's another, um, that's for the night team, um, you know, going right. into the evening, what we'll be covering in the evening, anything that needs to go up first thing in the morning. Um, so it's, you know, 24-7 operation in there. What is the best time to pitch then for either for PRs, freelancers, or people that are just pitching their rows and for the morning? Is it to get in for that 8.30 
morning yeah. meeting? So it depends. Obviously on, you know, the voices desk or, you know, for opinion-led stuff that is hooked to the news, it's just ASAP. To be honest, if you're not getting it in that inbox before kind of nine o'clock, mm, you're probably going to miss the boat. They need to have, you know, they really want to have like an idea of what they're commissioning by that time. So if that's a news hook thing for voices, opinion sections, early as possible. For us, I, um, you know, for really timely news-led things, we do a lot of that in-house. What I think our desk would be looking at for external pitches is more long-term evergreen type things so things that could go up they could go up today or they could go up in three weeks time and they will be as uh you know as timely as current as as relevant to the audience in three weeks time as they would now um so whether that is you know a personal piece about you know something that is eternal grief love you know whatever it is those things that's like well you know that will be you could have written it in 2007 or you know and it's still yeah. it's still people want to read it it's those maybe human stories or first person things if you are going to try and hook it to a news story yes. you need to do it as soon as possible because you know the news cycle you know I know it moves so quickly if you're telling me at three o'clock in the afternoon oh, I've got a really good pitch for something that happened yesterday I'm, I'm really sorry it's too late you know and I appreciate often I think people look uh, will send a really comprehensive email you can tell they've agonized over it for hours and actually maybe if they'd sent a far more, more brief email at 9am you know and said you know I could do this that might have been more successful kind of ironically yeah. you know, rather than waiting hours and fleshing it out and then you've just missed the boat a bit even if you were commissioning an evergreen piece mm. is it still better to pitch in the morning because you're consumed by all the day stories you know what afternoon? actually I think probably if you're going to you can send it to me in the morning, but I mean, there's no way I'm going to read it because, you know, we're sorting out our news list. You're dealing with 300 things. Things don't sort of calm down till about midday, one o'clock. So I've probably been there five hours before I'm going to get a chance. When I came in this morning, for example, I had about 17 emails from case studies from, from features I'm working on. And I didn't get to look at those till about five o'clock this afternoon. So I think actually send it as early as you like, but I probably won't read it till the afternoon. And how much do you use freelancers? So on our desk, we use freelancers uh, for shift work, uh, when we need shifts covered, holidays, loo days, that kind of thing. Then um, we would use them maybe for, you know, really interesting commissions, <laughs> I say that kind of hesitantly, for really interesting things that are kind of, that's really going to stand out. It's not par for the course. We don't use them all the time because, as I say, our team is so great. The voices team, obviously, the op-ed desk, use them daily, you know, if you were going to pitch to us, it would probably need to be something that was more stand up from the crowd. Okay, no one on our desk can write that. So maybe you've got, uh, you know, insight into a community or access to contacts or access to a story that we don't have and could never have. So that's why we would, you know, commission you on that, which sounds like a really obvious thing to say. But I think often one of the, you know, to jump ahead, one of the worst things about so many pitches is people not telling you why them you know okay well that's you know that's a nice idea but why couldn't we just write that in how you know there's nothing in you know yeah. I need to know that you're the person to write it you know I've got access to these contacts that you don't have or 
I have insight into this community or this things that's going on that none of you would know about and I'm bringing it to you you know if it's just a quite a generic if it's something that we could commission in-house very easily you've got to think you know we've got such tight budgets these days that's no secret everybody knows you know newsrooms aren't flush with cash so tell me why you why you know yeah. why, why it has to be you that writes it and you must I, I, let's talk about pitching because I love this <laughs> bit um, you must get a lot of pitches yeah so how do you deal with them how do, do you ever use them do how how many of them actually materialize so, <laughs> into a story so i think if a pitch is in terms of using them let's start with that if a pitch is good and i think we could run it on the site I, well, I might not run it on my desk or my, you know, my section, but if we can forward it to the voices team, to the, you know, the op-ed desk, I would always do that if I thought it was worth their time. So that's the first thing. In terms of <laughs> good and bad pitches, what's going to stand out, how to do that, I think lots of people when they're pitching struggle to differentiate between a broad idea and a, and a pitch, a pitch for a, uh, you know, for, for a piece. It, it's quite a tricky concept to explain it's quite you know, it's much easier when you see it in an email to kind of say okay well that's a, f- a fully formed idea rather than just a generic I want to write about I keep thinking sex because we were talking about sex before the microphones were turned that's on right. let's thinking, talk about sex and I keep thinking about that <laughs> you know I want to people like you know I want to write about dating okay well that you know that might be you might have something really great under the surface there but actually it needs to that, that's an idea it's not a pitch yeah. People often say, oh, you know, I'm an expert in dating. I'd love to write something about dating. Um, and I don't know if that's because people kind of hope that if they throw a lot at the wall, I might just turn around <laughs> yeah. and say, oh, okay, great, we actually really need something on dating, do this. But actually, that's not really how it yeah. works. So, you know, if you could say, you know, I had this experience recently of, um, you know, I went on a date and the guy I was with or, you know, whatever, um, actually was quite violent and, you know, I want to write write about the rise in violence in the bedroom linked to pornography or something like that. You know, really, that's, that's a pitch. That is a pitch. You've told me why, why yeah. you, because you've got that personal experience. You know, I've contacted X charity and Y charity for comment. You know, I've got a few other case studies, blah, blah. That is a pitch rather than just... I want to write about dating or I want to write about porn or does that make sense yeah kind of absolutely move it on a little bit get, tell me why you and then try and make it into a pitch rather than just a more generic yeah. idea does that make sense yeah totally and what about people that get in touch and say if you're ever covering mm-hmm. xyz or you know they might say so I'm a immigration lawyer and if a story ever comes up mm-hmm about a high-profile case of an immigrant lawyer, can you use me as a spokesperson? So they're not actually pitching a real idea, but they're letting you know that they're a, an expert. Do you keep things like that? Are they useful? Yeah, all the time. So the the piece I wrote today, I keep going back to it because it's, uh, it's still in my mind, but when I'm under a time pressure and I'm trying to write a piece, if I know that we've got a doc, a kind of centralised uh, spreadsheet where we keep all of the contacts we have on the desk and you know what they're good for and people are meant to update that so if you also you know you've got to be legit don't tell me you're something that you're you kind of self-declared you are but actually you know but if truly you have an expertise in an area that is you know valid and credible absolutely get in touch and say hey I'm here for, for comment for for to be a spokesperson on these issues because actually when we're on you know when we're on the clock and you're looking for people to comment on something always useful to have 10 people to contact rather than two um so actually and and obviously but that's more about that's not about you writing something that's about you 
you know, just getting a credit and, you know, being part of a larger feature. But obviously that's, you know, if you're trying to promote brand yourself business an initiative whatever that's a good way i think mm. that's very good you sound very organized i know a lot of <laughs> newsrooms mm. don't have that well it's yes sheet. i mean i say that i mean it's meant to be updated but obviously i mean you know not, obviously there are lots of emails that just get deleted you know without people paying much attention to them but on the whole yeah i if, if you really do have valid credentials and you feel like what you have to say would be of use in the future i'm always gonna you know try and come back to you because it's i think because we're all under such time pressures often journalists can be and you know everyone is guilty of this this isn't a criticism of just using the same experts just relying on the same on the same people um because it's easy because they're you know they're good for it because you you know that but what it means is that we don't then you know, have proper diversity in the media we don't have a you know a breadth of voices and that's a problem that's a problem for all of us and what you, how much of pr's pictures or content do you use realistically you know people always kind of say oh (laughs) it's funny when we're at HuffPost I I heard from a PR on the grapevine oh you know HuffPost is like absolute if you get in there as a PR you've made it because apparently we were really hot in an impenetrable inbox apparently (laughs) apparently but actually I think if you again if you have got uh, good content that is well sourced so by that I mean don't give me a study saying all kids need to wear glasses if your client is a glasses company because you know it's not going to fly if it's well sourced and you know you've got sufficient people so we normally do studies like over 2,000 people um, if it's got an interesting line all that kind of stuff there is no reason why we wouldn't run that but you need to make sure that there is that we're not just a flogging your client because you know we're not it's not an advertorial that's not what we're here for (laughs) also what you pitch is would have you seen things like that on our site before i think so frequently and again this is because prs on the other side are busy and swamped will just say this looks great for your site and i think you have never read our site clearly clearly you know looking at what you're sending us but if you actually really think yeah i really think this would work and it's well sourced and you know they've surveyed lots of people or, or whatever as long as it's you know it can stand up it's it you know it's got some kudos there then yeah send it because we're not against doing things like that I think it's just so frequently it'll be we've surveyed three people and they all say you need to wear glasses our client is glasses company you think well obviously that's not news that's not useful to readers what about reviews and things you get lots of um so I don't really so we have a section called indie best which is our commercial um uh you know, uh, shopping type stuff. That's how a consumer, uh, that's how a reader would see it. And that's where we do lots of Black Friday stuff. You know, Cyber Monday. That's where all that was. Again, can, does it stand up? I think you know. Yep, reviews is fine. But is the product actually worth it for the reader? Or you know, is the product a bit of a scam and a bit rubbish? And you know, then maybe not. Then always worth sending over we're not versed to doing those things just ask yourself would you if you were on our side would you be buying this if not then we'll probably us neither you know yeah have you got any examples of like really bad pictures or really funny pictures in terms of bad ones so firstly get people's names right i know you're sending a lot of emails but if you say <laughs> you know dear sir or you say dear john then i'm probably you know it's just annoys people more than anything so you know it's not a reason for us to delete it but like don't annoy people um be brief uh be brief be correct in who you're addressing it to um and make sure you've read our site before you send stuff over i think you know 
that well, that goes to PRs and to freelancers, you know, whoever. Like, you don't want to be wasting your time pitching stuff to someone who's never going to take it. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of our time. I was trying to think about memorable commissions earlier on, thinking about, um, this is a bit of a curveball one, but when, um, I don't know if you remember, Rachel Bland was a Radio 5 presenter and she yeah. died. And when I was at HuffPost, I commissioned the last piece she ever wrote a couple of weeks before, oh, before she died. And I was going back through my um, Twitter inbox the other day and I saw the messages we had and, you know, writing that with her. And it, at the time, just kind of, I, I thought this is, this, obviously we didn't know how, you know, how much longer she was going to live at all. Um, we didn't know it would be so brief. Um, but it, it was so timely and she was so excited about doing it and it fit exactly with what we were trying to do at that time. Um, and she had such insight into something that, you know, that takes all those boxes. Obviously, it's a quite, you know, a morbid example, but she was like a wonderful writer. She had insight into this thing that it was a, a universal interest, you know, grief and, 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 and death and mortality and all those things. And not, you know, everyone is not going to have that experience, but that commission was perfect because who wouldn't want to read that? It speaks to something that everyone is interested in. She had that insight. She had, you know, and also she was a wonderful writer. Um, so I think that's probably like one of the most memorable ones, mainly because, it, you know, it ended up being the last thing she was able to write, sadly. On the flip side, bad pitches are the ones that are completely irrelevant. No one would want, you know, no one, none of our readers would want to read that. So just don't waste your time. Like I'm sure if you thought a little bit more about it, you, you know, you could deliver a much better pitch. And then, you know, I think, I don't know if PRs sometimes just assume that journalists won't take it regardless. So, well, this is easier just to send this rather than take a bit more time. Mm. But that's not the case. Like, you know, always looking for stuff. Just, you know, PRs, freelancers, whatever. We are looking for stuff. Is it just, useful that they pitch to a reporter rather than to the commit to whether to you there as an no, editor? No, no, no. I wouldn't pitch to a reporter. I mean, you, you can. Like, if you find their email, not mine, then you can. But, you know, they'll just forward it to us anyway. Yeah. Um, or they might not forward it and it might just get yeah. deleted. So, you know. Or they might just nick the idea. Really. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, people, you know, people often say that. People often say, oh, you know, they definitely nick my idea. And, you know, maybe that does happen in some places. But on desks I've worked, people don't do, they don't. I don't know. I think people are a bit more honourable than they give them credit for. Also, as well, as I say, if it's a really good, you know, if it's something very generic, like, I want to write about dating and then a couple of days later you see we've written something about dating you might feel aggrieved but actually chances are we're all part of this hive mind aren't we we're all you know subject to similar cultural influences we were probably thinking the same thing on the desk so you know it's not us nicking it off you and if it's a good enough pitch and you've got the contacts and the access we couldn't nick it off you anyway because yeah. it's your story that you know you should be allowed to tell and you should be commissioned to tell so I kind of think that annoys me sometimes I'm like honestly the desks I've worked on people don't you know, Nick freelancers' ideas. It's not cool. No one's in the game for that. You know, that's yeah, not what it's okay, about. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. And tell us a little bit about this other project that you're working on with the Law Commission. Yeah. That sounds um, really interesting. Tell us how it came about and, yeah. and what's involved. So, um, so when I was at HuffPost, my previous job, I um, started when <laughs> this. I haven't quite explained the story to you, so it's going to sound really weird now I'm saying it. So in 2017, I was travelling home on the train, and on my phone, I was airdropped 120 sexual images, unsolicited, obviously, wow. just on the tube. thought it was just this weird thing that had happened to me. Anyway, started looking into it. It's not. It's this really widespread thing. Um, I got about 80 case studies in the end of other women, and, you know, was doing all this reporting around it. And then MPs started being interested. But basically, it speaks to a wider problem around 
how technology and harassment interact. Uh, so that kind of takes in revenge porn, deep fake, all of these things that technology is bringing that we never thought, you know, no one could have predicted these things. Anyway, so Parliament were doing an inquiry into it. I um, went along to a few meetings with some MPs. It came up in the House of Commons. Long story short, the Law Commission is now doing a review to it and I'm helping them, um, you know, with evidence uh, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, just because, obviously... <clears throat> It's, it was a really underreported thing. I was the only person, the only journalist, as far as I'm aware, who's covering it at all um, and, you know, gained the trust of lots of women and obviously now have all, you know, these, these women uh, contact details and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's really exciting. It's something that kind of came from a personal... It's, again, going back to that thing about, you know, even journalists... I was the person to write that story because I had the contacts, you know, I had the insight into that community and I had the trust of those people and that's, you know, that's what makes a killer story yours yeah, when it's like, yeah. well, why you, it, you know, because either because you're like so fascinated by, you know, you've got all this insight or because you've got the contacts or you've had that experience or, or whatever it is. So anyway, so uh, yes, now working on changing the law, which if it happens will obviously be amazing. Um, and, you know, it's a testimony to all those women who, you know, were very like you know, generous and shared their stories with me, which um, I'm internally grateful for. I think we were talking before about the privilege of being a journalist. People tell you things that it, I'm always still shocked yeah. about the, how honest people are with you. It's, um, I'm actually writing a feature at the moment about eating disorders around Christmas and how, how triggering Christmas can be for people with eating disorders. And was uh, interviewing a guy today and he was telling me about you know this one Christmas where he was hiding food from his family and you know, all these kind of things that clearly he like, really struggled to share. But he just told me because I was a journalist and I'd asked and I, and I always kind of, I never take that for granted. Like it, it, it amazes me how honestly- It's like therapy been. for a lot it of people. It is, I think it is. I think a lot of people kind of maybe don't ever get asked, oh, you know, you're all right, or do you want to talk about that? Or, you know, maybe that, or maybe people just, you know, love telling people, I don't know, but I'm always so pleased that they choose to tell me. It's such a privilege. Yeah. Sophie Gallagher, thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching. <laughs>